This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. My new position is really digital sex ed, is making it accessible online and making it interactive online. And we can access a lot more people. It can also be accessible to folks with disabilities or people who might need like a screen reader or to click on something again to reiterate. We can get creative. We can make it engaging and even like gamify sex ed, which is brand new, you know, like Imagine learning sex ed through playing a game. Like, it it could be cool. Hello, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. This week, I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, Mariah Caudillo, as we talk all about the topic of sex education. More specifically, the current climate of teaching sex ed to teens and how education has shifted as we've migrated to mostly digital spaces in these past few years. Mariah is a certified comprehensive and inclusive sex educator who teaches sex ed in California. Former to the pandemic, Mariah was familiar with in-person class sessions and is now navigating the drastic digital shift to remote learning. On this episode, Mariah shares with Bedside what sex ed curriculum looks like, what the state of sex ed is across the U.S., and how she is helping to facilitate more contemporary conversation and teachings into modern sexuality education. As you'll hear in the episode today, we get into the importance of creating safe space and community to have trusted dialogue around sex, what language around sex has evolved to and what it looks like, and we also get into Mariah's most known anonymous sex question cards. It's a big part of her social presence online where she answers questions from anonymous sex ed students and she shares so much about what that process has been like and what the question cards mostly entail. This is a really fun episode. We cover a lot of ground and it is super insightful into what the state of sex ed looks like in 2022 as we've shifted to mostly digital learning. So let's get on into the episode and a warm welcome to Mariah. Mariah, I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome to the Bedside Podcast. This has been a long time coming, and I'm so looking forward to chatting with you all about sex ed today. But before we do so, let me know how have you been lately? That's a great question, and honestly, a really hard one to answer because it's different every day, every minute. So we'll just start with today. I'm doing okay. Things are good. I'm at a pretty busy pace with work. And I generally like that because I can get into it and the days go by fairly quickly and then I can just relax and enjoy the weekend. So today I'm feeling good because it's Friday and 
I know I get to relax. (laughs) Yes, definitely. You and I both. I'm so looking forward. So I'm curious to know more about your cultural background and upbringing and really what your modeling around sex and relationships looked like for you. Yeah, this is also a great question because of my background and my childhood has a lot to do with the work I do today. It really set me up for that. I grew up in a very religious household. So my parents were very into church and Christianity. So that was We would go to Christian churches and oftentimes they were very, what they call evangelical and charismatic. So there's just a lot of different messages happening around sex, but any conversation related to sex, any education centered around the church or religious ideas. And it was pretty much all like shame-based type of messaging. And as I was growing up and had boyfriends or my parents suspected that or things like that. There was never really an acknowledgement or conversation other than you're going to get in trouble or you're grounded. So it was a big no to talking about anything related to sex and relationships. So I had no knowledge or information, but a huge piece of my childhood is experiencing and trigger warning is experiencing sexual abuse. So it's really interesting that while that was happening throughout childhood, there was this big red X, you can't talk about this. And then also from the church perspective, you're going to go to hell if you do anything sexual or if you have sex and you're no longer pure. So as a kid receiving that made me feel like pretty shitty and kind of confused. So that's the summary. I know that's a lot, but yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm curious to know if you had a turning point that brought you to the work that you did today. Did you have any sort of like aha moment where you were like, wow, I really want to become a sex educator? I feel like there wasn't really a clear turning point. To be honest, I didn't really learn much of anything until like college is where I started to study things related to sexuality. So I think that is a piece of it. But mainly it was me like internalizing things and trying to figure it out on my own because I was engaging in sex throughout my whole life. It feels like a lot of it not consensual, some of it consensual, some of it with in relationships. So I feel like I had to do a lot of navigating it on my own and I didn't really even go to the internet or anything like that. I didn't have like a mentor. I didn't have a person that I asked questions to. I didn't really have a close friend that I shared information with. So it really was, you know, me and myself really just thinking about things or internalizing things. And then college rolls around and I'm learning more like factual stuff. But getting into the sexuality field, I think that's where I started to understand bodily autonomy and reclaim like my sexuality and understand it from more of a personal space versus a factual space, I guess. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Were any of the classes that you took in college, like women and gender studies, or were they more intro 101 style classes? I'm curious to know because I think some colleges offer pretty comprehensive and diverse classes and others are just, you know, there aren't even offerings. So what were 
What was that like for you? Yeah, very intro classes. I didn't take any gender studies classes. They didn't offer them at my college. So it was really only human sexuality. And then after college or getting into the sexuality field is where I did most of the learning in the form of different webinars and workshops and conferences and certain trainings so that I could teach So most of learning happened after college, I would say, but the human sexuality class did provide a foundation for me to learn things and figure out different things. Okay, so I'd love to ask you about your perspective on the sex ed landscape, especially right now, 2022, we're in hybrid digital worlds, mostly digital worlds for many people. So I'm so curious to ask you about what sex ed has kind of shifted and morphed into based off of all of these circumstances. Tell me what you're observing and what's happening on the ground level. You know what? I think it's 18 states or something that require medically accurate sex ed. And then 36 or 39 states require some sort of sex ed or HIV prevention. So a lot of sex ed, you can even call it that. Do some people just call their sex ed HIV prevention? I think the like law language is HIV prevention because a lot of sex ed started out just being HIV prevention, at least in California. Even when I started teaching in 2015 or at the end of 2015, going into 2016 and The curriculum was just shifting to a comprehensive curriculum. A new law came into place in 2016 where comprehensive sex ed had to be provided in California in public schools. So before that, it was just HIV prevention, very little safer sex ideas, things like that. But the sex ed landscape is still like that in different parts of the United States, I think, Luckily, living in California, some things are improving. We still have so much work to do. I disagree with a lot of the ways that sex ed is provided or given in schools because I think it should be a full class, like a mandatory class, not just a one-day thing or a week-long thing. And a lot of it is fear-based and some of it is still abstinence-based. And with that in mind, there's lots of studies that show abstinence-based sex ed is not beneficial. It does not work or help. I mean, the messaging with abstinence-based sex ed is harmful and hurtful and it doesn't reach or include every single person. So yeah, I mean, I have a lot of qualms with it. But I feel like being in California, there's more opportunity to change it. Yeah. And just so we're all on the same page here, can you explain just really briefly for any listeners who are curious what comprehensive sex ed actually means and maybe even the difference between that and abstinence-based programs or abstinence-before-marriage programs? Comprehensive sex ed is a holistic approach to sex ed, kind of viewing it as a life skills implementation. So not just focusing on prevention, 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 also focusing on the skills needed to communicate, the knowledge someone needs to know how their body functions or even get to know their body and even assessing or learning about different attitudes and values, personal values that contribute to ideas about yourself, about sex, or just like how you navigate the world. So comprehensive sex ed encompasses everything. It's not just one 
little piece of STI prevention. That's it. It's everything, especially the pieces that relate to how a person lives in the world and goes through life interacting with other people if they want to. So it's a lot of skill building and a lot of seeing the learner as a person, I think, and supporting their development. That's a huge thing is the supporting the development and the resources that are provided in comprehensive sex ed. But even then, it is still limited. It's not a year-long class. It's typically done in a week or two weeks, sometimes a couple of days. So the way that it's delivered really varies from district to district, state to state. But as long as it's comprehensive, it meets most standards, I guess you could say. So I'm curious to know, is your class only a few days or a few weeks? What is the program like? So I worked for a couple different organizations and the way that it works is we have a comprehensive sex ed curriculum of some sort, either one we've made ourselves or one that we've been trained in and partner with. And so schools will contract with organizations and we will come in and teach sex ed Generally, throughout my time teaching, it takes about a week to two weeks. So most middle school classes I do, I'm there for about two weeks-ish. Same with high school classes. So that's usually the time. But yeah, two weeks is not that long. I wish it was longer. It's interesting to think about too, you know, in the very first episode of Bedside, I chat with the sex educator, Al Vernacchio, who has this year-long class that he teaches for comprehensive sex ed. And I'll mention too, he's at a private institution in kind of an upper middle class area. So that kind of comes with its own grain of salt. But he was telling me, and I've even sat in on some of those classes, how long it really takes to build up to the important discussions and the curriculum, right? Like build up to that vulnerability. And I can't imagine how challenging it might even be to teach students for only two weeks. I'm, I'd love to know from you really how you gain the trust in those students in such a short period of time. I mean, kudos to you. Tell us how you do it. That's a huge thing, especially with topics like consent. And as you were talking, I'm also thinking it's more trauma-informed to have longer sessions with students and in classes because that trust is a piece of trauma-informed mindset and curriculum. So I think one thing that helps is going into a classroom, understanding that you're not the expert here. You are just a resource and a guide who just has some information. But really, this class and this opportunity is for the learners and the students that are there. So the information and the things that they need most, we can kind of shift to that and talk more about those things and answer questions. So I think going in with that mindset, but also being relatable, I think one thing that helps me is I have a lot of younger siblings. And so I try my best to stay connected with the youth. And in the classroom, I try to connect with them in that way or crack jokes or use memes or Gen Z language throughout the curriculum so that it does feel relevant and relatable. And I feel like that also builds trust because now they're like, okay, she knows what she's talking about or 
she's funny or, okay, I'm going to listen now versus someone just going in and reading off of a PowerPoint and saying, this is what it is. And you know, whatever. It's also community-based or like youth-centered is when you kind of flip the dynamic of a classroom even, or like the power dynamic of a teacher and a student, like there is a power dynamic there. So like trying to break that, especially with a topic like sex ed, something incomprehensive sex ed that impacts every single one of us. Like these are life skills and a life journey. So kind of breaking down those walls and viewing it as a communal or community experience also helps. And the anonymous question box also helps. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm thinking of my own sex ed right now and how we watched all those 80s birthing videos. And I think they even wheeled in one of those like old TVs that was like a full box that came in on a cart and we had a VHS. It was wild. Yeah, because mine was a similar experience. <laughs> it's That's hysterical. We almost have had some sort of similar sex ed in the like mid 2000s. But anyways, so I really would love to know a bit more about what the sex ed curriculum looks like that you teach and really how you lead into a topic so large, such as sex and sexuality. Like where do you even begin with that? Typically, curriculums have a specific flow content that needs to be covered in a specific order. So usually I'll start with anatomy, but going into a classroom and trying to get familiar with everyone and introducing myself and kind of creating some group agreements, the whole community experience sort of thing. I don't go straight into the lesson. I don't just put on the PowerPoint and let's go. We got to get into it. Oftentimes I'll give a little bit of a speech or something, but say something similar to what I just said earlier of like, you know, this is your time and your space and everyone deserves to feel safe and comfortable in this environment. And how can we make that possible for every single person here? And also reminding them that I'll give trigger warnings when there are certain topics that could potentially bring up some difficult things. So setting it up that way is helpful before getting right into a lesson. Sometimes students will have a lot of things to say. Sometimes they don't care. They're like, okay, let's see the pictures and that's it. But group agreements is a big piece of that introduction is allowing students to contribute, make the experience better. How are we going to make sure everyone feels safe? How are we going to make sure we all feel comfortable and respected? So opening it up with that and also I also open it up with the anonymous questions and getting them familiar with that. So that excites them usually. Okay, so let's get into these anonymous questions. You do such an incredible series on Instagram and TikTok on index cards that students write in, but share all of the deets. Please tell us more. So in person, I usually bring a box, some cute decorated box that we call the question box and a bunch of index cards and writing utensils. I like to bring like markers and fun colors, things like that. And we find a place in the classroom that it's gonna work best or it's the most accessible. And I'll place sometimes note cards all over the classroom. So if someone doesn't wanna get up and grab one or they don't want anyone to see them, they're just kind of everywhere. Or people just use their own if they wanna do that too. And at any time during the lesson or during the instruction time, people can ask anonymous questions or write a question down on an index card and put it in the question box 
whenever at the end of class on their way to the restroom or have a friend do it. It's always there. And after that particular class period, I mix them all up and I categorize them by class period. So they're very specific to each class. And then I answer all of those anonymous questions that were asked the following class day. That way everyone gets their question answered. That way I have time to prepare because sometimes the questions are just to get, you know, a reaction. Sometimes the questions are really inappropriate. Sometimes they are trying to stir shit, things like that. So it gives me a day or a night to read them, prepare a accurate and well thought out answer. But it's one of the best parts of sex ed because this is someone's opportunity to ask literally whatever they want, anything. It doesn't even have to be about the particular lesson that day. It could be about whatever you want related to sex, relationships, your life, things like that. And every single school I go to, I get hundreds of note cards. So they are used. They really love it. And I love it. Yeah. And these question cards, they also must really indicate where you focus your curriculum, I'm assuming. Do you feel like different groups of students have different style classes? I have noticed that, but more often than not, it's the same. I will get what's the average penis size question like 400 times at every single school. So there are a lot of trends, but living in the Bay Area too, depending on what area you're at in different school districts, sometimes, and make what you will with this information, but like sometimes in the really, really fancy areas, the conversations will look a lot different and students will be very against sex ed and the information, or they'll make really harmful comments when we're talking about gender and things like that. This isn't everywhere, but like it's, it's a trend I've noticed. So depending on the area-based things, I've noticed that. But as far as the content goes, I feel like young people, they are curious about the same things. You know, they're just asking in different fonts. And it's all the same. They're just trying to get through life and through high school. They just want to know if what they're doing and who they are is normal. They want to know if their body's normal and they want to know like if they can do things safely or if what they're doing is okay, which I can't tell someone, sure, go ahead and do that. You know, that's not my job is to give someone permission to do something. It's just to provide the information so you can make an informed decision. But it's a lot of the same. One thing I have noticed, this is kind of like a fun thing, is through the years, more of the questions have centered around what's happening in the media. So like when I first started teaching sex ed, I didn't get so many questions related to memes or video games or TikTok. And nowadays, so much of it has to do with that, which I love because luckily in comprehensive sex ed, there's a lesson on like media literacy. So we get to spend a lot of time talking about that and talking about the cultural aspects of what influences us or might put pressure on us as we're growing and developing. And for a high school student, I feel like it's so enriching and important. I can't even imagine also the speed that sex ed has needed to keep up with in the digital age. And I mean, I don't want to make a crazy overarching assumption here, but it's been outdated for a really long time. So in a way, it's kind of been exciting that we've kind of jumped into this really hyper digital space because it's kind of forced everybody to figure out how you know, we were going to keep this content fresh. I know there's so many people doing such an amazing job with comprehensive sex ed, but I'm really thinking at a larger scale of like what 
sex ed looks like across the United States, you know? With sex ed, it works really well in person because you can build trust a little bit easier and you get a sense of what someone's feeling or thinking and you get a better sense of like reading the classroom. And that's an important skill to have when teaching sex ed, because maybe you're talking about consent and someone starts to, I don't know, like they put their head down or you see someone crying. Like those are signs to pick up on in person. So online sex ed is very different because you don't have that ability to connect in person or read the room or get a sense of what people need or how they're responding to the material because everyone's, you know, cameras are usually off and most of the time they don't care because they're just trying to survive the freaking world. So sex ed now being completely virtual, at least with my organization, unfortunately, I'm not going back in the classroom. I will never be back in person. My new position is really digital sex ed is making it accessible online and making it interactive online. And I prefer in person and I see the benefit with digital sex ed. I see that we can access a lot more people. It can also be accessible to folks with disabilities or people who might need like a screen reader or to click on something again to reiterate. So it is way more accessible, but I think missing out on that connection or the opportunity for students to ask questions in the moment or even anonymously taking that away from sex ed kind of takes away from a big piece of it. So I think other sex educators can probably relate if they have had to transition from in the classroom to online to back in the classroom, back to Zoom University. I think with me, because I'm going to be on Zoom University forever, well, as long as I'm here, I'm feeling mixed feelings about it, but I'm trying to embrace the fact that we can get creative, we can make it engaging and even like gamify sex ed, which is brand new, you know, like imagine learning sex ed through playing a game. Like it, it could be cool. It could be fun. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm still trying to find that middle ground and also figure out what students want. What do youth want? What did they like better? Because some youth rather learn privately or through a computer, which I get. <laughs> so what does, based off of all of that, what I would love to hear more from you about what digital literacy looks like, especially with the pandemic. A couple of topics that come up is porn, for one. Really, a lot of media literacy is just breaking down what media you're consuming and consuming it consciously and in a way that doesn't damage your sense of self or your sense of the world. So We'll take a piece of media, whether that be a TikTok trend or there was a TikTok trend and it was a song about STIs and someone was singing it so beautifully and it was itchy, something stinky, something, you know, that was something that came up and something we dissected from that song or that trend is how many harmful stereotypes there are about STIs and the concept of seeing something as clean or dirty and why that's harmful and not true and normalizing STIs and also accurately understanding what symptoms exist and those sorts of things or how STIs are portrayed in movies and where we hear about these things. And all of those conversations stem from that one piece of media that we talked about. But with porn, there's so, so much to dissect. There's so much to talk about because a lot of these students and a lot of people 
this is where they get most of their sex information from. And, you know, the big thing is letting them know it's not a source of education, it's entertainment and trying to help them consume that more consciously versus taking it as a literal book of how to do things. So that's another great conversation to have. Yeah. And I think so many people use porn the very first time, not just for pleasure, but like to get their actual education around how this whole sex thing works. I mean, like it's it's stuff like how do these body parts come together? And it's this just massive curiosity I think so many people have because we're not really informed about it. And it's also really crazy how much porn influences teens into thinking, not just teens, actually full-grown adults too, into what sex should be and what it might be. So what are the conversations that you're having with your class around porn like? Some things that I like at least started off with is validating that people have access to porn and people like porn. And it can be, especially for adults. I try to emphasize the adult thing because I don't want to get parents calling me and hating me because I'm saying you can watch porn because I'm not. But like, you know, emphasizing entertainment you know adults do watch it people do watch it for pleasure and like sexual pleasure is normal and that is something that people should have direct access to getting to know their bodies all of that great stuff but also understanding that when someone's constantly watching something your brain might start to see that as normal so if for instance the pornography is super super aggressive like this idea has come up a lot I think in conversations is you know the aggression that one might continuously see in porn like how might that affect someone's real sex life or the expectations they have. So sometimes we'll talk about that. One time a conversation around squirting came up because I had an anonymous question about squirting. Like, can you do it? I've seen it in porn. And that is another place to get into that conversation of like, this is an expectation that every single person can do this when some people can, some people can. The bottom line is who cares or not who cares, but that is like, experience yourself and partners can navigate and communicate together, but it's not something you shouldn't expect everyone to have the same experience because you saw it in porn. That's kind of the lane that I'm in. So that's one question that's come up or one topic that's come up with the porn and the media literacy. And another one is even penis size, like what bodies we're seeing or they're seeing in porn and how that can also influence how we view or this idea of attractiveness and what bodies are more attractive, et cetera, things that aren't helpful or even true. So we even talk about some body image things and how when you're just constantly seeing thin bodies or big penises in porn, of course, the lack of representation makes it feel like one body sexier than another. So that's another thing we, we discussed. So there's just so much that there could be an entire class on pornography or media literacy. And I think there should be, especially now. We're constantly online and on TikTok and the way that the internet is moving and how quickly it's moving. I think it would be so helpful. <laughs> You know what I've noticed even from working in this space myself is really how limited our language is around sex and pleasure. How do you think we can begin to create more of a dialogue around sex and intimacy with one another? Where do you suggest we begin? I really feel like it begins with 
you, the individual, in learning, one, how to communicate or why communication is important, because I think that's a big part of the equation with relationships, sex, intimacy, all of it. So just on a basic level, understanding that communication is for expressing your feelings. Why is it important to express your feelings? It's so you can share how you're feeling and someone can understand you better and that builds intimacy. So I really feel like it starts with folks understanding themselves or at least getting to know themselves and accessing the language to describe your own feelings and then also boundaries, trying to figure out what makes you comfortable, what doesn't. Because I feel like those are concepts that sound super easy to do, but I think for a young person and for adults, really everyone, it takes a lot of practice and not everyone feels comfortable with themselves or there's a lot of maybe trauma that is affecting the way someone is able to view the world or themselves. So I wish I knew how to make it better or change it because I feel like language in general can be really tricky because taking into account different ways people communicate in general or education levels or what resources people have access to. A lot of that stuff can get really confusing. And so I think starting with the individual and meeting somewhere where it's most comfortable, like getting to know yourself is a really good place to start. I think too, understanding that communication around sex isn't an end goal or doesn't, you know, it's ever evolving. What did your own personal journey around communication and sex look like? I'm still learning that stuff, really. I feel like I'm also unlearning a lot of things that stuck with me throughout my childhood and other traumatic experiences. So honestly, teaching sex ed, getting into the sex ed field, having the opportunity to learn and also be a part of like the teaching side of it, that has actually helped me tremendously because I'm learning all these different things. And even as an educator, the best part is you're continuously learning. At least everyone should be, you know, you don't just get your degree and you're like, cool, I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm done. I constantly try and learn new things and stay up to date. And that also benefits me and helps me find or land on language that allows me to express myself or even figure out what I was feeling or trends I'm doing in relationships that I didn't even know. So I think teaching and learning, that's kind of coincided. And then just experience in my relationships, that's helped tremendously being able to ask partners or talk with partners and understand like the way that I communicate and how it may not be the best or different things I need to work on. So there's not really a one thing that's helped me. I think, I think it's just my life experience has given me lots of opportunities to figure out those things. And I'm used to doing it. I think alone because I've always been very independent and I've always felt very alone throughout my childhood and even like adulthood. So I feel like I've spent so much time with myself that I guess I can emotionally support myself a little bit better, even though you shouldn't always rely on that. But it has helped. I feel very lucky in that way because I know that's not the case for every single person. 
So you mentioned earlier that you felt like you didn't have any mentors around sex and sexuality. And I actually think many of us can say the same for what we grew up with. I would hope now that it's a little bit better. But how do we go about finding trusted people to have discussions with around sex? You know, as much as the internet can have consequences, it's also a tremendous resource. And I feel like The Instagram sex ed community has been just incredible and providing resources and a safe space for people to learn or even see themselves in that content. So I feel like I point a lot of my students to the places they're already at for those extra safe opportunities to maybe just view content privately or sometimes there's websites like Scarlet Teen you can ask a question. I mean, it's an incredible resource. There's so many Q&A opportunities on like every topic. So kind of guiding folks to spaces where they can ask whatever they want without fear of judgment and just know that someone is or like the website or the person or whoever it is, is understanding and has compassion It's hard, though, because I don't really know how to identify people in real life because I think it's very different for everyone, even in class, when one of the lessons is talk to a trusted adult. It's really difficult because not everyone has one. Not every student or person is going to have someone in their life that they can talk to, and it's not safe to talk to that person. So Yeah, I even struggle with that or even telling students that. So I do rely a lot on these sex ed resources and professionals that already exist and are doing incredible work and who have paved the way for other sex educators. And they're often black and brown educators who have done all of the work and are continuing to be like a safe space. So I do my best to point students in that direction. That way they feel seen too. Okay. So one of my last questions for you, if there was one thing you wanted all teens to know who have taken your class or who are just tuning in right now and listening or anybody who is a mentor to teens or those who are coming of age, what is that one piece of advice that you would want to share? The bodily autonomy piece, I think really emphasizing that you are in control of your body, or at least you should be. And there are situations when that control has been taken away, especially with sexual abuse and validating that that's not okay. And there is support and resources that can understand and walk alongside someone processing or dealing with trauma. But yeah, I think overall is just understanding that your body is important, you are important, and your experiences are valid. And even though you're young, everything that you're experiencing and feeling is valid. And I think a lot of times young folks feel very disrespected by adults or older people because they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And so I really want students walking away feeling empowered and in charge of their life and in charge of their body. And Also okay with the fact that you aren't going to have all the answers and that's all right. Like you're going to figure things out along the way and there are resources out there to support you if you want them or if you need them. And on the other hand, 
you may already have a lot of things figured out. And that's really, really awesome. So I would love for everyone to walk away feeling empowered. I would really love that. I know that's not always the case because some people aren't going to get anything out of two weeks of sex ed or they're going to hate me and it's okay. But if anything, I think that I want folks feeling good and empowered and seen and like they feel a little bit more equipped to handle the darkness of life because it oftentimes is, especially right now. Okay, so I'm curious to know what does your sexual wellness routine look like and how slash what do you do to stay sexually well? It's really taking it day by day. I struggle a lot with mental health issues like depression. So I feel like a lot of my sexual wellness is being aware of and tuning into my body and to my mind that particular day or moment. And being able to accept it instead of like fight it or try and go against it because that just makes me more frustrated or anxious or depressed. And so being able to just like accept where I am and try and be grateful or have gratitude for the things and the resources I have to be able to even just sit with myself and be able to reflect that personally helps me. But the acceptance piece is huge because then that allows me to not have any expectations on myself. It opens up more of a possibility for me to just be in the moment or enjoy sexual pleasure or whatever happens. Or if something goes wrong and I am not able to get there or I hate it and I'm tired or whatever it might be, I can get to a place of like, it's okay. Like I can feel that way. It's all right. Because I'm already on this wave of acceptance and understanding and tuning into myself that way. Also being able to voice and be upfront with my boundaries. I think that's always been a really big struggle. And I think that has a lot to do with childhood sexual trauma and even youth sexual trauma. And just in general, it's like boundaries are kind of hard to navigate or figure out when you don't really have an opportunity to make any or like even know what that means. So I think now as an adult, it's figuring out what those are, even like little boundaries. It could be small things like I want to get to bed by 1030 because I have a big day tomorrow or, you know, I want to self-pleasure instead of have sex with my partner this day or I need to use a condom tonight or whatever it is. Yeah, that's what I believe is sexual wellness for myself. I don't necessarily have a routine because <laughs> it changes, but I do really enjoy trying new things too. So it's a newer thing in my life that I'm kind of introducing into my sexual wellness space and personhood. So yeah. Mariah, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for all your insight into just what this landscape has become with sex ed, this hybrid space, this digital space. It's so fascinating. I know it's changing every single day. So I just really appreciate all of your on the ground thoughts and viewings and musings. So please tell us where we can connect with you online. I know you've got a really fun TikTok, so please drop all of the details. Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. I 
love talking about sex ed. So this is great. You can connect with me on sex ed files. It's just at sex ed files. And that's where I post a lot of the anonymous questions. And I also do my best to provide the answer. It takes a really long time to type everything out. So I choose carefully which ones I answer, but I love sharing those. And there's a lot of other fun content and TikTok too, I guess. My first TikTok plug, I like to post on there. And I guess if you want to see an extension of myself and sex ed, you can go there too. It's just at sex ed files. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. This has been such a treat. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening. Bye.